everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast of the Grove Church where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that is deep but easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Solid Life Whole Bible Reading Plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the church lobby every Sunday. Yeah, and with that, if you have any questions that you would like to be answered about the Bible or the Bible reading plan, man, feel free to email your questions to info at grove.church. That's info at grove.church. Um, I said this last week, but I want to say it again. We just did our uh, Q&A for January. Uh, we dedicated a whole bonus podcast to that um, just because there was a lot of questions. And we want to make sure that we get enough time to at least answer a majority of them. You know, reality is we probably won't be able to get to every single question every single month, but hey, uh, we enjoy the Q&A podcast, so make sure you are sending those questions in. Uh, With that being said, we're going to go ahead and get started on this week's Bible Talk. We are wrapping up the book of Genesis, and what we want to talk about today was uh, particularly the story of Genesis, but also the story of Joseph in particular. And what I love about Genesis is that it's a book full of broken sinful people who God still uses to accomplish great things. In particular, when we talk about zooming in on the family of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and all of the siblings associated with that, all of these different men fail at one point or another, and all of them are still used by God to continue on his glorious message. And in the story of Joseph, what we see is a story about God's provision and his sovereignty. And even though, even through all the hardship and the pain, God uses Joseph to save the nation of Israel. And to to kind of give a quick recap of the story, you know, Joseph is Jacob's favorite son, and his brothers know all about that. And so his brothers are overcome with jealousy, and they sell him into slavery in Egypt, which obviously, I mean, think about movies getting made about that. You don't come back from that. Like, that's yeah. just, a, that's really rough. Um, And yet, Joseph is able to keep God's perspective throughout the whole thing, and God blesses Joseph to the point where he becomes um, basically second in command over the the empire of Egypt, which is incredible. And and God uses that position to allow Joseph to provide for his father, for his family, for his brothers, and and really take the nation of Israel. And by when I say nation of Israel, what I mean is um, not the place, but the people, the people of the nation, um, take them into Egypt and really provide for them during this famine, which probably would have wiped out the whole family. And so – and I, I love the line that what what you intended for evil, God has used for good. And Joseph is really about the fact that God is sovereign – and I mean, we talked about it in the last podcast of Romans echoes the same thing that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, that God ultimately is in charge. Yeah. And even when people mean things for evil and they do disgusting, despicable things, God can use those things and he can bring good out of it, which is exactly what happens in the story of Joseph. Yeah. I, I mean, the story of Joseph, yes, this is Joseph in the coat of many colors, Joseph. Um, you kind of see this kid who has a call from God. Um, and he even explains that through dreams and everything. And it's just, it's just interesting to see, to see how he, even in the midst of tragedy happening, I mean, his brothers throw him in a pit, sell him to slave owners that eventually send him to Egypt. And he works his way up, still having God's perspective that what God had spoken to him was true. And then getting essentially, um, framed for trying to have an affair with 
the number one in command's wife and then getting thrown in prison and then everybody forgetting that he even exists, but then coming to him for something. And it's just this amazing story of like so much tragedy. It kind of reminds me essentially of the story of Job yeah, in a sense of uh, where just so much tragedy is happening, but just the the constant perspective of reminding themselves Man, this is what God has told me and what God tells me is true, and I don't have to worry about that. And it's a reminder for us that even when we experience pain, and, and you know, pain in this life is coming. Like it's it's just kind of yeah. the way it is. We can take hope because we know that we serve a God who is sovereign, we serve a God who's in control, and that he will take those things and he'll work them together for our good. Yeah. And with that, we are actually going to continue our uh, study through the book of Acts. This week, we are actually reading Acts 18 through 24. And I actually want to stop us in chapter 18. Um, There's an interesting figure that pops up here just for a few verses. And um, it's uh, it's a very succinct story, but I also think it's very... Um, applicable to us. Um, in Acts 18.24, we're introduced to this guy named Apollos. And Apollos was a Jew. And uh, what the Bible says is that he was an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well and had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. So this is somebody who probably was raised uh, in the synagogue, knew the scriptures and knew the application was transformed by Jesus um, and was like, this is the son of God. He is the Messiah. I'm going to just go out and basically, um, I don't want to say youthful arrogance or youthful ignorance, but really in his youth was very excited to just go win people at all costs. Well, what happened um, to just kind of summarize, he started preaching and um There are these two people named Priscilla and Aquila, and they heard him speaking. And what they said uh, to him was, hey, you know, Apollos, you have this great gift, um, but also your knowledge of the scriptures, though you know them well, your interpretation of them might not be accurate. And so Priscilla and Aquila um, actually took him and they explained what the Bible says in verse 26. They took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. And uh, it goes on to say that Apollos had been thinking about going to Achaia. The brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him to go. They wrote to the believers in Achaia, asking them to welcome him. When he arrived there, he provided, or he proved to be a great benefit to those who, by God's grace, had believed. And I think it's so interesting. Just a moment with Priscilla and Aquila, it equipped Apollos to do even more uh, in his journeys, even more in preaching the gospel even more in reaching people in an accurate sense. I think this really goes to show that sometimes we need people in our lives that are smarter than us. We need people in our (laughs) lives that are more well-versed than us. We need people in our lives who know more than us because at the end of the day, man, if we're the smartest people in the room, I think that might be an issue. I mean, I don't ever want to be the smartest person in the room. I always want to be learning about how I can do things better. But not only that, I want to learn how to preach better. I want to learn how to reach people better for Jesus. And that's what I love about Priscilla and Aquila. They were two people that were really mentors. And I think we all need mentors in our life. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the cool things about the story of Apollos is is really this idea that um, there's there's a balance between and we see that he's absolutely passionate, loves God, and wants to go do things. And it's, it's almost just saying like, hey, 
you need to understand what you're talking about here. And I think sometimes we can we can be on one end of the spectrum or other where maybe um, you know we're so into the intellectual side of things that um, all of a sudden we, we maybe lose our passion a little bit because we're just so like in our own heads about it. And on the other hand, maybe we're so passionate, but we don't actually take the time uh, to be grounded in doctrine. I think Apollos is a great example of you, know, you need both. Yeah. You need to be very grounded in your doctrine at the same time. Uh, the gospel does not exist for us. The yeah. gospel exists for everyone. Yeah. And how how much um, how little love can we possibly have for people where we have our lives be changed and we don't want to share that with people? Yeah. And man, I just that's so true. And you know, it's what we were saying a couple weeks ago in our podcast. You know, Christianity isn't about one extreme or another extreme. Christianity really is about balance, and that goes the same with uh, the way we you know read our Bibles, the way that we worship, and even the way that we preach the good news. Uh, but moving along, we're actually in Matthew right now, and uh, I know I say this every week, and I know I say <laughs> I know I say this every week, but this story uh, in Matthew chapter 19. Is it one of your favorites? No, it is my favorite. <laughs> okay. Not one of my favorite. It is my favorite because I never want to end up like this. Um, and there, there's going to be a twist at the end. Um, it's not a factual twist, but a lot of scholars believe um, this person turned into a key figure in the early church. And so I'm going to save that. So you guys got to stay on with us. Ooh. Uh, Matthew 19, verse 16 through 22, Jesus encounters um, the rich man, or as many people call him, the rich young ruler. Um, and he comes to Jesus in verse 16, and I'll read it. It says this, Some, someone came to Jesus with the question, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Verse 17, why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good, but to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which one, the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. And he replies, I've obeyed all of these commandments, but what else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give all of your money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he was away. He went away sad, for he had many possessions. Now, this isn't a story that I think we focus on if you own things or if you have money, that's bad. I think that's actually a very poor interpretation of the scripture. But what it's talking about, man, where your heart is, that's basically the direction of your life. Yeah. We see that this this isn't about money. No money is not inherently good or bad. But having a lot of things isn't inherently good or bad. But really it's what has a hold of your heart. You know, the the Bible says out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. Well, also out of the overflow of the heart our actions are determined. And so many people are stuck in a rat race trying to make things happen, make more money and, you know, build your 401k and drive the nicer car. But like, what if Jesus asked you to give those up? I think it would be hard for me, like mm-hmm. let alone um, somebody who has a lot of money. I mean, the Bible refers to him as rich. If we're believing the Bible is, you know, 100% accurate, man, he must have been rich for the Bible to say that. And what I think is so interesting is that this was the 12th person Jesus personally asked to follow him. I mean, Jesus, or excuse me, the 13th person that Jesus asked to follow him. Imagine what Jesus could have done with 13. Look what he did with 12. Add another person to that. We can see even more. But he walks away sad. And man, I never want to be this guy. 
I never want to let physical possessions or, or things dictate my relationship and my trust in God. I want to be somebody who is always saying, you know what, God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. Now, like I said earlier, um, a lot of scholars actually believe this rich young man turned out to be Barnabas, hmm. which is an interesting take on scripture. Um, but you know, we, we don't have any factual proof of that, but a lot of people, a lot of scholars have actually adhered to this position that this rich young man ended up having a transformation, getting rid of everything, and actually going to be one of the early missionaries for the early church, which I think is phenomenal. Well, and if you mean, again, we have no idea if that's true, but I think it adds another layer if um, if that is what if that is who that man actually is, to think about um, why he's so willing to all of a sudden give John Mark a second chance, because he was given a second chance after initially um, failing and rejecting Christ when he was uh, pre- presented with it. Yeah. I think it's awesome. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, moving along, we are wrapping up Genesis, like we said earlier, and so we're actually introducing, uh, we're starting up the book of Exodus this week. We're only reading one chapter, which I think is actually kind of nice for introducing a book, because then we're just kind of focusing on the overview a little bit. Uh, Genesis adds, or Genesis ends, on this really hopeful note. Joseph brings his whole family down, they're together, they um, have food, they're not going to die anymore. And then what we see with Exodus is that about 400 years later, um, things have gone downhill. And so, to say to say the least. Things and, did not go according to plan. Yeah, and so when we open up Exodus, the people of Israel are enslaved. In Egypt, they're horribly oppressed. They're forced, uh, basically, just to live there and to work and, and treated terribly. And so, Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Again, it's written by Moses. It's part of that group of five that we talked about called the Pentateuch. And it tells the story of God's rescue of His people from their slavery in Egypt. And so, Exodus, exit is kind of what's talking about. And God calls his, and, and uses Moses. Which I think is is really interesting because in one way uh, we talked about how Moses was uniquely qualified to be able to write uh, the first five books of the Bible because of the education that he received as a member of Pharaoh's household, um, and at the same time he was almost unqualified for the role that God had for him because we don't know we don't know what it is, but we know that Moses had some type of um, whether it be an anxiety or some type of um, speech disorder that he wasn't very good at. And in fact, uh, God says, okay, we'll use your brother Aaron as well. And so Moses doesn't feel like he measures up mm-hmm. to God's call. And I think there's there's almost two parts of Exodus, one of which we almost never talk about and one of which that we do. So the one theme that we see throughout Exodus is that God hears the cries of his people and he delivers them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a beautiful thing um, that God raises up Moses and he takes his people out of Egypt and really in a way that they can't possibly claim any credit for. Yeah. Like they did not fight their way out. God, We see the 10 plagues, incredible supernatural things that happen, the parting of the Red Sea, like throughout all of the story of Exodus – it's not the people of Israel being awesome and breaking their way out of it, but rather it's about God delivering his people. And it's always funny because Exodus is actually a, a, a very long book. It's a lot longer than people think because when we see the story of Moses, it almost always ends after the Red Sea. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like this big, like, and, and you know, Con and I are both 
uh, 26 years old. And so people of our age, most likely when you were first introduced of Moses, it was through the, the Prince of Egypt. Come the, on. It's a great movie. I love the movie. Uh, but, um, and the, you know, the cast is awesome too. For a star-studded cast. Star-studded. Um, but, I mean, Jeff Goldblum is Aaron. Who knew that's what you needed? Steve Martin, Martin Short. That's true. Sandra I forgot, Bullock. I forgot they were. Ah, anyway, anyway um, all that being aside, I don't want to rag on the movie because it's, it's actually a really good movie. Um, but. It does the same thing that most of the uh, most of the stories of Moses that we hear about do, which is you know they get through the Red Sea, and also you see like a quick shot at the Ten Commandments, and then that's it. And 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 really, what we see in Exodus and, and through the rest of the Pentateuch and uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is that the people of Israel kind of um, they're idiots. Yeah, they, they they just they forget what God does, and I think. Um, what we again we we talk about it sometimes, but like you know, they get out of Egypt, ten plagues, incredible supernatural things happen. The Red Sea parts, God delivers them through that, and then Moses is gone for like forty days, and like, well, shoot, we better uh, we better worship a calf now. Like it's just it's just the weirdest thing, and so the people of Israel are constantly. Uh, breaking covenant with God, and God refuses to break covenant with them. And I think even with Prince of Egypt, um, this is a little bit more of a of a niche conversation, but I think they unintentionally demonstrated how this generational gap works between the people. Because at the very end of the movie, it always bothered me that the ending song is uh, it's called "There There Can Be Miracles," and basically it's like this white bread. Um, super like, hey, if you just believe there can be miracles and it's awesome. And it's, it's kind of the ending number of the whole thing. And even as a kid, I was kind of like, but that's not what the story is about. It's not about the fact that like, um, you know, they believed and something magically came through. Like it was about the fact that God did these things. Um, and I was looking at because we were, watch- we were rewatching the movie the other day and there's a part in the very middle of the song where these kids come up and they start singing in Hebrew. And this is really, it's, I mean, it's beautiful sounding. And so I was like, I wonder what they're actually singing about. And the, the lyrics of the song translated into English are, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. Who is like you, O Lord, among the celestials? In your love, you lead the people you redeemed. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. Who is like you? You are majestic in holiness. You, in your love, you lead the people you redeemed. And what I think the, it kind of shows there is that there's this generation of Israelites who just don't really credit God with anything that's happening. And what we see throughout the rest of the Pentateuch as we're reading it is that generation of adults never actually goes to the promised land. Spoilers for what's coming up later. Yeah, sorry about that. But uh, in the book of Joshua, we see that it's Joshua and Caleb are the only people of that generation, of that adult generation who get to go in. And the rest of the people who go in are the children. Mm -hmm. And at this point, obviously, they're fully grown adults. But I I think it's just this interesting idea that, you know, the adults are singing about, you know, there can be miracles if you believe. And then the children are singing about, God has triumphed gloriously. Again, I don't think that was intentional, but it was just an interesting thing that um, I saw. And as we're reading Exodus, I would encourage all of us to think about um, really, truly, do we forget the things that God does for us and how easy it is to do? Yeah, I think it's a great point. Um, But yeah, moving along, we are going to be um, exploring Psalms 140, excuse me, Psalm, singular, 140. One Psalm. One Psalm this week. Uh, and this psalm is another psalm written by David. Uh, it is for what, what it's entitled in my Bible is for the choir director. So this was a song. It wasn't necessarily a prayer, um, but it's a psalm of David. And uh, much like many of David's psalms, um, David is under attack. Um, a lot in his life. <laughs> a lot in his life. I mean, this guy 
first, like, let's talk David's life real quick. Passed over by his father that we're going to get into because his dad basically forgets that he has him as a son. Classic Jesse. Classic Jesse. Then he goes, you know, to battle, defeats Goliath, but then is crowned. Basically, in, in this whole time, he's he's already anointed as king, has to wait decades and decades before he can take the take the, uh, the crown. Saul ends up trying to kill him. It's just this big mess. And David doesn't really ever seem to get out of just really trouble. Yeah. I mean, like, it, it seems like he has a very uh, exciting life. He's always looking behind one shoulder. But this is a prayer and, a, and really a song um, that David had wrote um, just asking God to deliver him. And it says this. I'm just going to read a couple key verses real quick. Verses 1 through 3. It says, O Lord, rescue me from evil people. Protect me from those who are violent, those who plot evil in their hearts and stir up trouble all day long. Their tongues sting like a snake. The venom of a viper drips from their lips. Man, like what a what a word picture that David is describing. It's not God deliver me from my enemies. God not not God deliver me from the people who don't like me. It, it's really he's saying God. There are people that are trying to take me down. There are people that are trying to tear me down. There are people that are trying to ruin what you have instilled in this kingdom. And God protect me from that. But listen to how he kind of, he continues this until verse six. And he says this, I said to the Lord, you are my God. Listen, O Lord, to my cries for mercy. O sovereign Lord, the strong one who rescued me, you protected me on the day of battle. Lord, do not let evil people have their way. Do not let their evil scheme succeed or they will become proud. Let my enemies be destroyed by the very evil they have planned for me. Let burning coals fall down upon their head. Let them be thrown into the fire or into the watery pits from which they can't escape. And I love this because he reminds himself of God is his rescuer. The strong one who rescued him. And I think that is just a strong reminder for all of us. Man, let's be honest. Life is stressful. Finances are stressful. You that have kids, I'm sure your life is stressful. But can I tell you that we serve a God who cares for us, that no matter what comes against us, no matter what things um, may um, you know, frustrate us, maybe you're having issues with your kids or issues financially, whatever they are, man, can we just understand that our God has rescued us? And our God hasn't forgotten about us. Even when it seems like it does, we can even take David's life as an example of even when he feels alone, there is a God who is constantly protecting him. And that God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And so you and I can rest knowing that God is for us and that God will be our protection. Love that, man. I don't really have anything else to add. So I think that uh, that wraps it up for another episode of Let's Read the Bible. We are a podcast of The Grove Church, but we are not the only podcast of The Grove Church. You can find all of our different podcasts and resources at our website at grove.church. We will see you guys next week.